When you take a look at our long-standing history, mankind can point to endless examples of our march towards progress and daring endeavors. We've risen from the ashes like a phoenix, emerged from the depths of oppression, and brought in new dawns upon vast empires. The rise of great people and civilizations makes for an uplifting and even ego-affirming tale. But what of their inevitable downfall? On the flip side of our ancient coin, we see just as many examples of when humankind couldn't hack it, for lack of a better term. It's curious that our retellings of our own declines are distilled into one metaphorical reasoning. Whether stabbed in the back by a friend or wiped out by foreign diseases, it would seem that every civilization, every community, and every person has their own Achilles heel, including one of America's oldest colonies. The colony of Roanoke, which predates the English settlement at Jamestown, Virginia in 1607, took root on an island off the eastern seaboard of North America in modern-day North Carolina. This settlement would have become the inaugural English colony in the New World, but it never did. Why, you ask? What led them to their end? Well, that's the thing. We don't know. I'm Kate Naglieri. Welcome to the Bygone Society Show. Our story begins in the late 16th century when, in 1587, a group of about 115 English settlers set foot on Roanoke Island, which, as you might recall, sits off the eastern coast of what is now North Carolina. Their mission was ambitious, to establish the first permanent English colony in the New World. But the road to permanence would never be. Two years prior, another attempt was made to establish a settlement on Roanoke. Sir Walter Raleigh, the architect of England's colonial ambitions, dispatched an expedition led by Sir Richard Grenville to explore and lay the groundwork for a settlement. This initial venture, known as the Roanoke Voyage of 1585, marked the first chapter in the turbulent history of Roanoke. The expedition aimed to scout the eastern shores of North America, assess potential locations for a future colony, and establish trade relations with indigenous peoples. Led by Ralph Lane, the settlers faced immediate challenges, harsh weather, strained relations with local Native American tribes, and a scarcity of essential resources. 
Despite these adversities, the colonists pressed on, trying to carve out a foothold in this unfamiliar land. But their situation deteriorated over time, leading to even worse relations with the native population. As supplies dwindled and tensions heightened, Sir Francis Drake, the renowned English sea captain, arrived in 1586. Drake quickly realized their dire circumstances and offered to transport the colonists back to England. Faced with the harsh realities of survival in a hostile environment, the settlers reluctantly abandoned their fledgling colony. The failure of the Roanoke colony in 1585 cast a shadow over England's colonial aspirations, but Sir Walter Raleigh remained undeterred. With a persistence characteristic to the Age of Exploration, he initiated a second venture in 1587, just two years after the first bunch fled. This time, though, the plan was bolder and more strategic. Led by Governor John White, the 1587 expedition included not only military personnel, but also men, women, and children a deliberate attempt to establish a more permanent and sustainable community. Little did they know, they too would fail. Or did they? Desperate for a better life than the one they had in England, anywhere between 115 to 160 colonists boarded a ship and set sail for the New World carrying with them the dreams of prosperity, religious freedom, and the glory of establishing a settlement for the English crown in the Americas. Their voyage would have taken several months, crossing 3,000 miles of open ocean and living in cramped quarters below deck, where it's dark and cold. As they reach the eastern seaboard, Roanoke Island emerges on the horizon. The colonists set foot on its shores in July of 1587 with a determination to overcome the challenges that befell the ill-fated colony just two years prior. But the colonists arrived too late in the growing season, and they struggled to produce enough food. Fears of retribution from Native Americans, whose chief had been killed by earlier explorers, was also a lingering threat. The success of the settlement hinged on procuring more crucial supplies only available in England. So, only a few months after they landed in the New World, Governor White made the decision to go back, restock supplies and resources, and then promptly return to the colony of Roanoke. In doing so, he left his wife, daughter, and infant granddaughter, Virginia Dare, the first English child born in the Americas.
Upon reaching England, White was tasked with the delicate diplomacy of seeking support from the Crown and potential investors, who would fund the support and supplies needed for his nascent colony. But England was at war with Spain. The conflict, known as the Anglo-Spanish War, threw the country into economic hardship, making resources scarce. In 1588, the Spanish Armada threatened England's very existence, prompting Queen Elizabeth I to issue a resolute call to arms, calling on every available ship for the defense of the realm. And that included White Ship, aptly named after its one and true master, the Elizabeth. With White's plans for a swift return to Roanoke dashed by the demands of a nation at war, he was left stranded in England. Separated from his family and the settlers he left behind. The naval war between England and Spain unfolded with historic consequences. The Spanish Armada, despite its initial grandeur, faced defeat at the hands of the nimble English fleet and adverse weather. The conflict marked a turning point in maritime history, solidifying England's reputation as a formidable naval power. However, for John White and the Roanoke colony, the impact was more immediate and personal. It wasn't until August 1590 that White eventually returned to Roanoke, three lengthy years later where he was eager to greet his family and witness the growth of the colony he left behind. Unfortunately, when he returned, the colony of Roanoke was gone. When White reached the site where the Roanoke colony once stood, there were no signs of life and no tangible explanation of their whereabouts. Even stranger, there were no signs of struggle or conflict, no remnants of a hasty departure. The only clue was a single word carved into a nearby wooden post. It spelled Croatoan. What happened to the settlers? Did they find refuge somewhere else? The Roanoke colony, once a symbol of English aspirations in the New World, became America's oldest unsolved mystery. The peculiar clues left few and far between at the abandoned Roanoke colony, most notably the Croatone inscription, have fueled centuries of speculation, scholarly debate, and imaginative theories. One prominent theory states that the settlers, faced with dire circumstances and dwindling resources, sought refuge among and made a strategic decision to join the local Native American population. The term Croatoan holds a dual significance in this theory. It refers to both a nearby island, Hatteras Island, and an indigenous group, the Croatoan people. Proponents of this theory, including researcher Scott Dawson and Native American author Maynard Laurie, believe the colonists may have integrated with the indigenous peoples, 
adopting their ways, and becoming a part of the Native community. Most recent evidence comes from the First Colony Foundation, a nonprofit in North Carolina, which, according to its website, is dedicated to conducting archaeological and historical research, combined with public education and interpretation relating to the story of America's beginnings. In 2012, the British Museum examined John White's coastal maps for the First Colony Foundation and unearthed a very fascinating clue. Advanced imaging techniques revealed hidden markings in the shape of a four-pointed blue and red star on the coastal maps. This symbol hinted at an inland fort where the colonists might have relocated. These markings, possibly created with invisible ink, were likely intended to safeguard the colonists' locations from potential Spanish discovery. White himself even indirectly alluded to the site when providing testimony following their disappearance. This newfound evidence bolstered the hypothesis that the colonists had journeyed 50 miles inland. James Horn, a historian associated with the foundation, proposed in his book, settlers might have resettled in an area he called Site X. Nicholas M. Lachetti, an archaeologist and Horn's colleague at the First Colony Foundation, suggested the colonists might have even split up, with some settling at Site X and others on Hatteras Island. Although a 2012 excavation yielded colonial artifacts, no fort was found at the time, and as of 2018, Site X remains unexcavated. If the colonists did in fact integrate with other indigenous tribes, traces might be detectable in the form of DNA. When explorer John Lawson visited the region in 1701, he heard the Hatteras Native Americans claim, quote, several of their ancestors were white people, the truth of which is confirmed by gray eyes being found frequently amongst these Indians and no others. In the process of time, they conformed themselves to the manners of their Indian relations, unquote. Over the past decade, Roberta Estes, a computer scientist based in Michigan, has been testing Lawson's hypothesis by gathering genetic data. She writes on her website, When I began this journey of exploration in 2007, I felt that DNA had the potential of solving the riddle of whether the colonists survived, or at least if they survived to present day. After all, we have people with the same surname in various Native American tribes and locations that claim descent from the colonists. How tough can this be? She goes on to answer her own question. Tough. Very, very tough. Gathering the necessary DNA from excavated 16th century bones in the area and comparing them to potential modern-day Eastern North Carolinians is just really hard, though not impossible. DNA could indeed help solve the puzzle of the lost colony of Roanoke, 
but it's just one piece. The other is less definitive and rife with errors. That piece being records. And not American records, but English ones. If you've never perused the Ancestry app only to get lost in thousands of potential leads, I suggest downloading it and signing up for their free trial. And no, this is not an ad. Not only did I find out so much about my heritage, but I have a whole new level of respect for people who work in genealogy, including Estes, who writes on her website, I anticipate that English records will continue to be transcribed and added to online databases, becoming accessible to everyone through services like Ancestry, MyHeritage, and Find My Past, which focuses exclusively on British and Irish genealogy. Identifying the colonists and their families in England remains the key to solving the mystery of the fate of the lost colony. Those records won't do it alone, but without that information to use in order to track descendants forward in time, at least today, we probably can't solve the mystery. The story of the lost colony of Roanoke is fascinating, and frustrating, and frightening, because there's really no end. It doesn't tie up into a nice bow, one where we can learn from their mistakes to ensure it doesn't happen to us. Instead, it raises the questions, why do our most determined efforts succumb to circumstance? And why, in the face of it all, do we keep going? I could quote the overused yet very poignant quotation. A ship in harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. Which, interestingly enough, is credited to a bunch of people other than the original author, John A. Shedd, who wrote it as part of his 1928 collection of sayings titled Salt from My Attic. But truth is, sailing into the unknown not knowing how we will meet our end or whether we will do the things we want to do with the time we're given is frightening and frustrating and, dare I say, fascinating. The settlers knew the risks, and yet something called to them. Something told them to go. Along with our very own Achilles heel, we also have a promise we keep. Maybe it's to ourselves, maybe to others. It was that promise for them more than 430 years ago, and it'll be that promise for each of us. Now the question is, in spite of it all, ready to keep going?
Thanks for listening to the Bygone Society show where we chronicle the strange and unusual corners of history. If you've enjoyed listening so far and think I deserve it as your host, follow the society and leave a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts by scrolling down your show page, selecting a star rating, and tapping write a review. If you're already a mega member and fan, consider sharing your favorite episode with friends and family who also enjoy taking a walk down history's eerie lane. None of this would be possible without your support, and I'm grateful to know my kind of weird matches your own. Have a story idea? Email the society at bygonesocietyshow at gmail.com. From your gracious and ghoulish host, thanks for listening.